for bird watching yeah. yeah is this gonna be our cold open bird yeah. watching talk <laughs> you got any questions for me uh, why <laughs> yeah so uh, how goes your bird watching? i don't know whether the man starts bird watching first or buys binoculars first but uh which one know, was it for you n- oh bird watching uh-huh. they look they so were you just sh- squinting for a while until you were like i need a pair of binoculars oh i'm blind the- oh okay <laughs> they're for sure <laughs> you don't even know if they're birds that you're staring at then no it's awesome i look i downloaded an app they sit on the tree outside of my house I need to relax. I am so... St- I'll try anything. Have you seen a, uh, a pigeon yet? I thought you were going to say therapist. Because <laughs> he's like, I'm so stressed, I need to relax. And you're like, have you seen a pigeon yet? Wait, what about a penguin? I, uh, yeah, I've been in the zoo. <laughs> I meant in the wild. <laughs> All right, so this episode is going to be interesting because not only is much of it going to be biographical, but it also involves someone whose work I have passionately followed for most of their career. They still continue to this day to be a huge influence on the way that I think about games, and I firmly believe that their role in the industry and the things that they have created and built in it are of an undeniable importance. Whether it was through writing, editing, hiring, video producing, podcasting before it was even called podcasting, this person has actively been shaping the way that we look at criticism and game analysis for literal decades now. This is Hot Button. I'm Randall Beatrice. I'm here as always with Austin Blakesley. Yo, yo. And Chris Anantuano. Yeah, I was going to make a bird sound and I realized <laughs> I can't. <laughs> After getting through that opener, I'm just curious. Uh, Austin, you know who I'm, you know, not to speak for you, but I'm sure you probably feel similarly as I know you've been aware of who this person was before even I was. And it was you and a friend and listener of the podcast alone who got me deep into where he went after the story and we were going to get into today. But Chris, I'm sure I'm curious. Do you know who I'm referring to? I was first. It was Hitler because you were saying how much you appreciate him and he influenced you. But now I'm not sure because he didn't. He didn't. I don't think he, their video games were out yet. <laughs> no, no I, uh, I know. I know who you're talking okay, about. I'm talking I don't know about, a lot about um, him though. It's learning for me too. Cool. I, I am talking, of course, about uh, Jeff Gersman. I'm sure you know, I guess, of him. His yes. prominence as a figure in the gaming space has certainly changed over the years, so I always kind of wonder which venues happen to find him. But are you uh, familiar with kind of his work at all? Have you ever, like, read or seen any videos or anything he's produced? I'm sure or? I have, like, accidentally or just have, yeah. you know, but not, like, actively seek it out. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Awesome. when did you, what was your first kind of, like, injectory to kind of who he was? I mean, were you a follower of GameSpot? What we're going to talk about. yeah. Kind of mine too. Yeah, That's, this it's interesting because this story was the one of the first stories that made me aware of the people who are actually writing reviews. Mm-hmm. Because I've been reading game reviews ever since I was a little kid. I was pretty active on IGN and stuff like that. Like very obsessed with game forums back in the day when I was like getting into playing video games. Probably because I was maybe around the N sixty four and PlayStation days that I actually like started using the internet and like you know tied that into my biggest hobby. But I don't think this it was downloading until downloading and jerking off to LimeWire porn. <laughs> Lime, no, this, uh, is, this is pre LimeWire, yeah. yeah. Kazaa. Bear share. Yeah. <laughs> Napster. <laughs> was Napster just music? They have no, video? you got videos. Okay. I downloaded a dope AMV on there. <laughs> was it with... Linkin Park and Dragon Ball Z? <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> yeah, it was. What's the problem with that? 
But no, this story was definitely the first time that I, I had like a face behind all the text I was reading for like a lot of my childhood. So that was, mm-hmm. that was very interesting. So I actually met him once. I'm not, were you with me when I met him? Yes. Okay. This was at PAX East, which is actually going on right now at the time of this recording. Uh, he seemed like a really cool dude and he was nice enough to not only give me the time to chat with him on such a busy schedule, but he also signed a copy of Mario Party for me, which he was not thrilled about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before I get into kind of the backstory of his career, I guess it's probably important to first say why we were talking about him today. So back in 2007, during the rise of the seventh generation of consoles, as well as uh, an all-new high for internet gaming coverage, Jeff became quite the topic of conversation around the scene regarding the relationship shared between those working in the field of advertising for some pretty notable publishers and those in charge of the critics trying to give honest takes on major releases for readers and potential buyers. This discussion being ignited following his sudden and controversial dismissal from GameSpot.com, a very popular gaming website in which he was the editorial director of. I think he was in charge of reviews at the time of this. Yeah. Uh, With the center reason of the termination being his personal not-so-glowing review of IO Interactive's Kanan Lynch Deadman, a third-person co-op crime drama shooter published by IDOS. Is it IDOS or IDOS? Idos. Okay. Really? I don't know. Well, anyway. <laughs> uh, a company that at the time was putting some pretty heavy advertising money into the website for promotions. The incident surrounding this eruption built also from a couple of other previously released titles in similar cases, and it became known as, uh, you know, I don't, you know what, I'm not... Uh, Gerstmann game. Uh, I was like, <laughs> considering where we were at these days, I bet he probably wouldn't appreciate being so ubiquitously tied to said, such a dumb name. I, I also agree with Randy. I only said it because it made him uncomfortable, and that's the only <laughs> reason that I is, exist. Yeah, that was, and like, I think in interviews years later, he always says, so out of respect for him, I'm just, we're just going to refer to it as what it was, which is, it was bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember, Chris, when kind of this, this happened? This is going back. Maybe, on, yeah, I don't yeah. know. 2007. <laughs> mm-hmm. What year was that? 2007? <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? Uh, 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 putting you on the spot. Uh, dude, it's all just, it's all the blurs. <laughs> I was definitely high. I can tell you that. I didn't even say a date. <laughs> I just all of 2007. Uh, <laughs> oh, so I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah, us too. So yeah, I was high. <laughs> well, maybe the people right. who made these decisions were uh, in the story as well. Oh wait, didn't Halo come out that year? It did. Halo, Halo three. three. Yeah. Halo three That's came out right before yeah. this. It was like uh, the month that this happened. Because wasn't that November of 07? Or was it October? September. September. Okay, that was earlier than mm-hmm. I thought. I thought that was more in the holiday season. So Jeff Gerson began working in video game journalism in the early 90s, doing like freelance work. He got a job with a print tech magazine that was similar to Wired. I forget what it was. He mentioned it, I think, on the podcast before. It's obviously no longer around. And I also found it funny that he, he was also a musician and he worked in a movie theater, which I did. And we're all musicians, so it's, it's you know... It's kind of, it's, I mean, what are you trying to say here? Trump, do you stop, want us you to like say, that lady do you want we watched say, in that documentary, but like obsessed with Steve Jobs? Yeah, but Steve Jobs you sucks. Start wearing like Nike Airs, yeah. like Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in 1996, he was hired as an intern for GameSpot.com. Pretty soon after its initial launch, so it actually had launched in. 96. So it's it's going back. I think IGN launched around a similar time. It was a, I think it was an N64 like fan site before. I don't remember. But Imagine Games Network. Yeah? Is that, that what stands it stands for? Okay. It's weird that I I actually didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, me either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was something like informative gaming news. That would have made sense. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> but no. 
his first credited review was Tempest X3 for the PlayStation. For those that maybe aren't aware of the history of GameSpot, it was launched in May of 96, and they focused their attention exclusively on PC games at the time. They did have a sister site called VideoGameSpot.com uh, <laughs> going live in December of that year, and it was eventually merged into GameSpot under one banner in 1998, which uh, I'm really glad that I've said GameSpot so many times and I haven't said GameStop yet because I know that's going to happen because GameStop gets mentioned later on in the story as well. By 99, it was amongst the most visited game-related sites on the web, along with IGN and CNET, CNET being their parent company. CNET's probably more tech, I guess, but they do yes. have video games division. Yeah, they got Jeff Bacalar. Yes, yeah, Jeff Bacalar rules. And... uh Jeff Gerson was a vital part of the team responsible for the success. He continued to work at GameSpot for 11 years, running a weekly blog, hosting numerous podcasts, producing video content. He even represented the site on shows such as Good Morning America and G4's Attack of the Show. I know you're doing research on the Dreamcast. I think that was his thing on Good Morning America was about mm -hmm. the, the launch of the Dreamcast. Which was like apparently like a huge event. But um, this eventually led him to become head of reviews for them. Because I think they divide up their divisions into reviews, previews, and maybe just like a general news. I'm not sure. But this allowed him to bring on board some fellow friends and coworkers who still today remain active in the industry, either with him or on the developer side of games. Now to get to where this story actually starts. This is uh, November 13th, 2007. Kane and Lynch Dead Man officially releases the 360 and PS3 versions. I don't think the PC port would hit shelves until later that month on the 20th. Uh, it's hard to say for certain, but it appears that there was a review embargo which lifted on launch day, making the big first wave of its scores to all come in on that morning. The game itself uh, received some pretty polarizing reviews, some as high as an 84, some as low as a 30, with the average being around like a 65 according to the site Metacritic. Did either of you guys play Kane and Lynch, Dead Man? Do you remember this game? It was made by the guys that made Hitman back in the no, day. No, I don't yes, think I played, I, I, played I watched this review because I was a huge Freedom Fighters fan. Yes, me too. And they Dude, made I love Freedom, Freedom Fighters. Fighters are such yeah. a yeah. 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 Awesome. That was I.O. And they were like, this is the spiritual successor yeah, or whatever. They did, so. I think they like did Kane say that. Kane and Lynch was the spiritual yeah. successor yeah. to Freedom Fighters? Yeah, kind of like Time Splitters. Dude, do you remember the game over Freedom Fighters where you could like capture bases oh, in like a square and like yeah yeah, yeah it was awesome you would keep spawning people versus each other and just play that game yeah the multiplayer was really hours. cool it was weird yeah. i i actually like so maybe unpopular opinion but the funny thing about the story is like i actually liked yeah Kane and lynch dead man the multiplayer in that game was cool uh, as fuck yeah the multiplayer was a really neat idea which is yeah. one of the things he does note later on and when we get to the review part and, and it had problems I, I granted like i haven't played this game since it came out but I loved split screen co-op stuff because this was after Gears of War, after Halo. Like I was all about playing split screen co-op games on the same couch on a big TV. Was you're right? I still am. <laughs> it's dying, and then it's, it's um, dying. Sad. I know it's it's it breaks my heart. You live in the but past. it was cool. Like the game wasn't particularly long. It, it kind of had like a Tarantino Reservoir Dogs sort of like aesthetic. But it, it was basically these two guys that are they break out. You break out of jail, right? Or yeah, yeah. And then you're you're criminals on the run from the law, and you get caught up with these mafia groups. It's been a long time, so I'm I'm probably butchering this. Like trying to remember the story. But what I thought was really cool is that like each level was like a radically different set piece. Like. Like, there was like a for, car chase level and a bank heist. The bank heist level was really neat. For all you Kane and Lynch fanatics out there that want to correct Randy, <laughs> at Restart Randy on Twitter. They did make a sequel as well, yeah. I, that, that sequel's not good. Yeah, I, I didn't get me as much. But it's, it's funny because I think that might have reviewed better. But I, mm -hmm. I liked Kane and, Rin, Kane and Lynch besides the point. But Kane and Clank. <laughs> Ratchet and Lynch. <laughs> Lynch and Clank. Um, Whoa. So, yeah, that doesn't yeah, sound good. Yeah. Lynch does not sound good. <laughs> 
Um, they got a 99 on Fox uh, <laughs> gaming website. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, so Metacritic is able to build uh, that number from calculating the scores of all of their certified review sources. GameSpot is, of course, one of the sources and an important one at that, as not all the publications appeared to be listed appear to be created equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to weigh in on this. Yeah. I was never been able to figure it out. So for those of you out there that check Metacritic, which is probably a lot of you. Yeah. Um, I do. Yeah. yeah. Metacritic is... I shouldn't, but I do. For both movies and games... And music, even though music reviews oh, are bullshit. Oh, yeah, they do have music um, reviews. But it's a weighted average. So basically, Metacritic has something going on behind the scenes that <clears throat> nobody knows because it's like a trade secret. It's and they'll, not, ne- they'll it's, never tell. They'll never tell. Yeah. But basically, in order to get on Metacritic, you have to A, give a game a score, which is why certain sites are no longer on Metacritic because they don't yeah. give scores anymore. Oh, like uh, Kotaku and Polygon. Don't, mm-hmm. Yeah, but oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they yeah don't do you, ha- you know, they just do good journalism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you have to. Right, you can't don't have a score to scroll. You down have to through. register with them, and then when you register with them, they basically put you into a grouping. And then your score is weighted based on what grouping you're in. Hmm. So like all the blogs, yeah. Like, so are, all the blogs kind of makes sense. It, it does. Yeah. But the issue obviously comes from probably corruption. You well, know, I mentioned or this before bias, we started, but, but I remember like you could see like 15 different blogs review a game and the score not move, and then like IGN's review will drop, and then it'll the number will drop. But in all fairness, IGN is a big company that hires people. You're right. That, yeah, you and know, so is GameSpot. Are supposed to be yeah. more professional. Not that like a blogger is not professional, but yeah, you know what I mean. Like, do you want an, uh, uh, like a group of back alley it's, surgeons changing <laughs> yeah. their heart, or like one really well trained? A lot guy? of the times, too, the thing that gets me about Metacritic, and this isn't even in my script, but this is like how each version of a game has different reviews based because on the sources. Because there's blogs that review just only Nintendo Switch games, games and, and like just yeah. yeah, and that makes sense because you used to have OXM and Sony's magazine stuff that would just review their stuff. But the problem in that was like when companies send out review codes, they'll send out a thousand PS4 codes. And then when you check the Xbox One version, the score will be way different because there's only eight reviews as opposed to the the seventy for the of the PS4 version, which is right. so it can be hard to tell. Like so, obviously you're trying to you're trying to. You get all different st- scores for the same Staticize. game. Staticize. What's the word for that? Make something into a statistic. That word. You go- Google it. Um, they're trying I mean, to do something subjective and turn yes, it into a statistic. Yeah. And not every. And it's obviously difficult. Not every version of a game is created equal mm-hmm. anyway. So, like, there's no real solution to this either. Because sometimes, like, you know, you'll get the PC versions fucked up or the console versions are fucked up and the PC versions. The, the dragons fly backwards for four years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes your saves delete themselves in the platform that you're playing on. So, like I said, Metacritic's weightings are not public knowledge. However, I found an article posted to Gama Sutra in 2013 by a man named Simon Parkin, which was about a study done at Full Sail University by a man named Adams Greenwood Erickson and his class. And basically, they went through review scores, (laughs) used a bunch of complicated math, and tried to figure out what the tiers were. So what their data shows is that there are essentially six (gasps) tiers. Oh, geez, Uh, that's more than I thought. Well, I already call it bullshit, because no mathematicians are going to full sale. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it's... I thought it would be split up by, like, followers. Like, hey, your blog is this many readers. Uh, They they organize it into six tiers. Okay. Ranging from highest to lowest, obviously. 
It's 1.5 times, 1.25 times, one time, 0. 0.75, 0. 0.5, and 0. 0.25. Huh. Uh, so in that tier list, they actually give you a long list, which I am not going to read. You can find the article, but IGN is listed in the 1.5 tier, along that with people sense. like Game Informer, Game Pro, right, Game yeah. Trailers, the New York Rest Times, piece, Wired. GameSpot is listed in the 1.25 tier, wow. along with people <clears throat> like... Game Spy yeah. and Edge Magazine and G4 and things like right, that. Yeah. So what about Forbes. For, uh, I don't know. Did they do scoring? They, no, I, think I don't they, think they, they, they do. I just want to think the strange that Forbes okay. has like they do a pretty game. decent gaming Enterta- journalism. So there was a, <laughs> Entertainment Weekly is like the worst fucking magazine in the world. But for a few years, there was like some random editor there before they probably realized that he was on the payroll and fired him, who reviewed games and he and he was like really good at it. And, and say, all their movie reviews and music are reviews good. are trash. And there's like one guy who cares so much and stuck at working at the wrong place that's like mm-hmm. but yeah and also not all these sources use the same scales they'll use a five point scale so or I f- 20 I or found 10 that, or... I found that uh, out so basically so basically <laughs> Metacritic is a hundred point scale yeah if you yeah, review yeah. games or movies or whatever on a ten point scale like IGN does like nine point fives or whatever yeah, that's pretty yeah. easy to translate just that's take, the, take point. the decimal point yeah. out yeah if you do well, five slow down buddy <laughs> if you do five stars that's pretty easy five yeah. stars is a hundred four and a half yeah, stars 60. is a ninety uh, if you, people get a lot of shit for that if you do four stars or you do letter grades yeah uh, you can actually oh, go how does that work you like can Game actually go hold that. on you can actually go on Metacritic's website and, and then they tell you what that, they tell you what, what that, that translate to huh. my so, school my high school did the 10 point yeah. rating scale Metacritic and the Metascore magic okay so it says four stars is 100 3.5 is 88 3 is 75 and then it goes down from there for A or A plus, it's 100. A minus is 91. B plus is 83. B is 75, et cetera, et cetera. All the way down to an F being huh. a zero. And then... Ooh, it's a zero? Yeah. <laughs> but this full sale group of researchers and students, they yeah, were basically Chris. able to create <laughs> a formula and run a bunch of reviews through this formula and within a, within a reasonable margin of error... Yeah. equal the exact same scores that Metacritic had. Huh. So that's why they published it. Okay. Because they did it for six months and were able to, within a reasonable margin of error, a couple percent. Like, the... Hold on, okay. I'm getting there. Right. This article angered a lot of people because games, unlike movies and music, where nobody really cares about reviews, although movies are starting to realize that Rotten Tomatoes might be cutting into their profits and they're <laughs> trying to do something about yeah. it. But games is like, Metacritic has a big say in games. (laughs) Metacritic scores can get studios shut down. They can get people fired. uh, Bonuses. People can lose bonuses. Uh, Franchises can get canceled. It's real bad. You mentioned the Obsidian's game earlier. Wasn't it around Fallout New Vegas getting like between an 84 and an 85? They like needed an 85 for everyone to get the bonuses. Somebody posted a review for, was it New Vegas? I thought it was New Vegas. It might have been, but somebody posted a review for a game. Oh no, Bioshock Infinite had this too. 2k they got like a 95 didn't they like, or something like that yeah. uh, maybe i don't remember it was like they needed to get an 85 on metacritic in order the for the developers to get their bonus and somebody posted a less than positive review which knocked it down from an 85 to an 84 and a developer went online and was like bonuses. i lost my bonus because you of one review because of one review and that's all what because it's not that fuck? that's not that guy's yeah. fault he's no, not a part of that not. relationship but like yeah yeah, that's really um, fucked up. It has been shown by people like Forbes and the New York Times to affect stock prices. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, Metacritic yeah. scores. Fuck. Yeah, it got a little bit of traction, this study, because people were like, yo, that's kind of fucked up. Like, IGN gets to be 1.5 and, like, I don't know, Nintendozone.blog.nz or whatever has, like, 0.25. Yeah. So Metacritic posted on social media, and they said the following statement, which I'm going to read in full. Okay. Uh, Today, the website Gamasutra... <clears throat> Quote unquote, there's a lot of shade thrown uh, yeah, in this. Yeah. Quote unquote, revealed the weights that we assigned to each game publication for the purposes of calculating metascores mm-hmm. based on a presentation given at the Game Developers Conference this morning. There's just one major problem with that. Oh, did that ne- GDC. Neither that site nor the person giving the presentation got those weights from us. <laughs> it's simply their best guesses based on research. Uh, sounds and the Game of Sutra headline is misleading in this respect. And here's the most important thing. Their guesses are wildly, wholly inaccurate, <laughs> among other things. We use far fewer tiers than listed in the article. The disparity between tiers listed in the article is far more extreme than what we actually use for Metacritic. For example, they suggest the highest weighted publications we're not have, tell you. have their scores counted six times as much as the lowest weighted publications. Whoa. That isn't anywhere close to reality. Our publication weights are much closer together and have much less of an impact on the total score calculation. Last, but definitely not least, our placement of publications in each tier differs from what is displayed in the article. The article overvalues some publications and undervalues others, sometimes comically so. In addition, our weights are periodically adjusted as needed if, over time, a publication demonstrates an increase or decrease in overall quality. Which, that last thing is huh. weird, because that means, like, there are people in the lower tiers, and Metacritic just thinks that you guys kind of yeah, suck. Well, that was, I mean, it's like, like their statement was worse, yeah. I thought. Like, that was, like, is that was but the way of damage control. It does, it does reveal the whole, that they do weight it in tiers. Okay, it's so they, not, then like, that's quoted from them. Yes. But yeah. those tiers you read earlier, that's their tier, so they eventually released it. No, no. they never, they oh, still have. Yeah. Okay, you were just... Yeah. If anything, that, the, was the, the, that was the studies tier. The studies oh, tier, the studies tier, the studies yeah, tier yeah, was, okay. like, more fair. So, yeah, it was mm-hmm. all within, like, uh, you yeah, know, not six times. One. Well, no, the studies tiers were in six, were six times. It was 1.5 to 0.25, that is six times, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Sorry, I read that as, like, times six. Come on, guys, learn math, it's important. No. Pass. <laughs> also, one little tiny thing about Metacritic, and then I'm going to pass it back to Randy yeah, to yeah, continue yeah. our actual story. So, movies have much lower scores. You mentioned yes. this before we started yeah, recording. Yeah. Movies have much lower scores than games. Like, yeah. a good movie will get, like, a 70 yeah, like on Metacritic, it, yeah. and a good game will get, like, a 90. Yeah. And the reason for that is that movies <laughs> are essentially graded on a curve, kind of like a college class. <laughs> Where they like weigh each score against other, other scores films? at the time and kind of like so it, they don't all clump up together. Okay. Whereas games, it's like five games come out on one day and they all get like 79s, 82s, yeah, and yeah, just, yeah. they don't care. That's yeah. weird. I wonder what it is. So it's a time thing. Yeah. But huh. that's different. Like maybe games can be judged better. Like some movies, like. Movies are more subjective because yeah. games have mechanics that can well, be You mentioned be that they do music not. reviews, speaking of subjective. Also, get rid of user reviews entirely on that fucking website. Oh, yeah. there's a, it, It's great in their Q&A. Oh, it's Metacritic's like, user review. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering how that nightmare is calculated. Oh, in, in, the, in the Metacritic <laughs> thing that it, I read... They so should only give a zero and a ten. It's weird. In the Metacritic thing that I read, there's a, it's a Q&A, and the last question on there is, <laughs> do user reviews factor? And it just says, absolutely not, or something like that. <laughs> of course. Um, God, what a nightmare. But, uh, yeah, be. so they have tiers. They have five tiers. Universal acclaim, generally favorable. Yeah. Mixed or average, generally unfavorable, or overwhelmingly disliked. Disliked, yeah. And, and they the use five. those on Wikipedia when you yes, read about do. the reception yep. of each title. So, movies, it's 100 to 81 is universal acclaim. That's a big, yeah. 80 to 61, 
I'm not going to read the rest because it's every 20 numbers. Yeah, that Games are not, though. Yeah. Universal acclaim for games is 100 to 90. Yeah. Uh, Smaller margin. Much yeah, generally, generally favorable is 89 yeah. to 75. There's more mechanics in games. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Mixed or average is 74 to 50. Generally unfavorable is 49 to 20. <laughs> and then overwhelming dislike is the only thing that's the same where it's 19 to 0. And not many games get that. Like that's Some re- bad ones do. Oh, but of course. Yeah. Truck game where there's like no clip in. Yeah. Yeah. That's because people are better at making games than they are movies. Which the guy who reviewed that will come up in a Come story. at me, movie industry. <laughs> so Jeff Gersman being the reviewer of the title for GameSpot like they, they have a team of review, uh, reviews he oversees those teams but the review was written and edited by him he released both his written review and his video review of the game to go up release day morning and he gave the game a 6.0 which grants the title with a fair rating according to GameSpot mm-hmm. which uh, what's a 60 on Metacritic for games it's still positive, isn't it? There's no. Is that no, that was average. Average. Okay. Yeah. And the game got around a 65. So mm-hmm. it seems like it was in the the wheelhouse. But GameStop. See, I did it. GameSpot uh, was. I know. <laughs> GameSpot was notoriously known for their lower than average review scores at this time. And maybe They're a little, little bit tougher. May, yeah. Well, much of this was due to their uh, in house personal spreadsheet that builds the score from numbers given to categories. So oh, okay. they literally had an algorithm. So it was like the categories were gameplay, graphics, which is a very outdated term now, uh, sound, value, and reviewer's tilt, which reviewer's tilt is the the person reviewing it, like yeah. the, the, their own personal. So the way that things were calculated is lots of times the numbers would come out to 8.6. And they mm-hmm. pointed that out uh, in later podcasts, which is very funny because if you go and you read some of the most like revered games of all time and they all like evil it out to 8.6 for whatever reason because the system was put in place back in the day because of the sheer volume of reviews that the staff had to write they they were making it their mission to review every single game hmm. but like the problem is some of the greatest games of all time may not look amazing or like one of the categories is value you know it's like what if you the best game you've ever played was only a couple hours long like look at something like portal one you could beat it in like a half hour to 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, so it's also, like... Also, value is determined by time. Of course, yeah. Up until this point, their only perfect score of a 10 was given to uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Second best Zelda um, game, yeah. Uh, until a year after this incident. So, but it's it's like, to be a site for that long, like from 96 to 2007, I think their next perfect score was in 2008. That was their only perfect game. And even that had some like pushback from higher-ups at the time. What was that, 2008? Do you know? I think it might have been Mario Galaxy. I was, was going to say, it's got to be Mario. Was, I don't remember. When was Sunshine come out? Was that 6, 5? That was, was that 2004. Early? I was on GameCube. 2002. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I do believe the, the Ocarina of Time review was also written by Jeff. But what's funny is like... Smart man. <laughs> but what's funny is like now they're maybe a little more liberal with 10s, but people attack IGN a lot because they give a couple 10s out a year, and I think that's fine. Like, it's like, I don't. Games are better. They than don't ever. have to be. A, yeah, like it doesn't have to be a mythical thing to achieve a ten. Ocarina of Time, like, is a perfect game when it came out in 1998, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. But somewhere like, around there, 2007 was a hell of a fucking year for games. Like, it's crazy that nothing else. But anyway. That's neither here nor there. Uh, so other reviews began to hit Metacritic as well. This was also around the era that game companies were, as Austin mentioned, heavily incentivized to go after high scores, no matter what it took. Uh, the 6.0 that Jeff gave seemed to be pretty in line with other reviewers' opinions on the game. 
He noted his reasons for the score being what it was, was because of the weak AI, feel of the weapons, a general dislike of the characters and story, despite being very much into the concept. He did, however, like you said, he, he praised the, and actually we both said this, he praised the wide variety of level set pieces and its interesting multiplayer mode. Its multiplayer mode was really cool. I don't know if... One side note that I forgot that I just looked, I was scrolling yeah. through the Metacritic article that I brought up. Metacritic was purchased by CNET two years before this happened. Holy shit. So GameSpot and Metacritic were on the same thing. They're, oh they're, now, they're now both owned by yeah, CBS. That, which yeah, I, I get to that later, but yeah. that, I, I can't believe I didn't... Yeah. Yeah, I didn't unearth that. That's really... They're not that owned makes by the CBS? Yeah. yeah. Which is which owned was, by somebody. Which is owned by somebody. <laughs> Fucking assholes. <laughs> AOL, Time Warner, Taco Bell. Les uh, Moonves. <laughs> so what made Jeff's consensus so different than all the others? Well... During the month of November in 2007, GameSpot.com was absolutely decorated in Kane and Lynch promos. It will likely never be revealed just how much money from publisher Eidos was being put into the campaign partnership, but many close to it stated that it was uh, a rather substantial amount. Rather substantial for 2007. What's that, like 10 bucks? <laughs> yeah, those pores. <laughs> Everything's so much better no, now. I'm just, they have I'm just so kidding. good. <laughs> that, was, that was one year before the housing crisis. It was. So they were probably <laughs> overflowing oh with money. God. So this showed in the materials as well. Visitors of the site were not just treated to flash-based banner ads, but also an invitation to mix their own trailers and pick their own theme that would be featured on their personal homepage. I did that. Did you I really? That. I did oh that. Oh my god! <laughs> Mind you, this was before uh, decent ad blockers, but like I was like, yeah, I was like, your- they were like, do you want Kane or Lynch to be on the banner? And I was like, I don't know who they are. Who <laughs> <laughs> gets not out yet? <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, you've had Halo Three on the mind. You didn't care. <laughs> also, Rock Band, oh, Mass Effect. Yeah, this 2000. was 2007. Modern Warfare <laughs> yeah. came out the same month. Yep, but- that probably played a big role in the weighting of the score of this game. Like this release probably seemed pretty quaint, considering what it, I think because like Orange Box just came out as well. And, yep, geez. notorious Assassin's trash. The first, game. the first Assassin's Creed came out. That it year. did. Yeah, that, that was yeah. a big year. It certainly was. So Kane and Lynch, big game that year. <laughs> Maybe it couldn't hold a candle this stuff. But uh, you know the Kane and Lynch series on <laughs> Xbox One, PS4, and Nintendo Switch. Those never got remastered, I guess. Like, uh, but so Jeff was of course aware of this and continued to review the title as he saw fit without the fear of corporate backlash. Any ethical journalist would tell you the strict code of moral conducts that you are taught to upload by, uphold by, sorry, and he has went on to say that any advertiser, developer, publisher, or manufacturer should absolutely understand this standard. If, if not, it is a huge misunderstanding of the working relationship. We gave you money. Say our game's good. By the way, <laughs> side note, the 10 that you were talking about, 2008, Metal Gear Solid 4. Wow, really? And GTA. GTA 4? No, GTA 4. Which one came out first? Because they were both 2008. I think GTA 4. They were both in the spring of 2008, yeah. I think. I think it was GTA 4. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's, that kind of 10. Games, that game, game was really GTA good at the time. You GTA 5 is you better. You mean the beta for GTA 5? The uh, physics I think engine test Red for Dead, GTA 5. Uh, Red Dead 2 just got the game of the year as well. So traditionally, when a bad review is written, it is not uncommon for a publisher's PR department to try and contact a writer's supervisor or HR manager and attempt to contest the product's score. It is their job after all. However, as long as everything Fair. in the actual review is factually accurate... Yeah, exactly. It should be up for debate. Yeah. But then, that's fine. Then really no other step should ever be done. Jeff has openly talked about these calls before, and they're like, we don't think that game should have gotten this score. We think it should have gotten this score. And he's always says the same thing. He goes, yeah, I'll look into it, and then hang up and then never do it. <laughs> I remember yeah. that. I remember when he talked about that. Yeah, because it's like... 
even after a company tries to make an empty threat afterwards, like refusing to send out codes for future reviews. Maybe we'll do an episode at some point about it, but do you remember, was it Bethesda that said, like, we're not going to send review codes out anymore? Yeah. And then Doom um, came out and it was incredible, but everybody thought it was going to suck. And like, uh, which I think Kotaku is blackballed by them. Really? Or they don't even you? do scores. What the fuck? I don't know. Yeah. Blackballed by who? Metacritic? Bethesda. Bethesda. Oh, Bethesda. Sorry. Yeah. I can't remember. So now I their staff that, has to go out and buy think, the game. I when think the day that might have been repaired, but I remember okay. at one point Kotaku posting an article. And in the, it wasn't about this, but in the article, it did say that Kotaku was no longer receiving review copies from a publisher. I don't remember which one. Okay, but they got there, like, a few publishers have done it. Japanese publishers are especially oh, yeah. get hesitant about it. But like, yeah, those guys aren't even Japanese over there. <laughs> <in Kotaku. laughs> but like, imagine if that worked that way for film, right? Like, imagine like whether it's a screening or a movie is out and people are able to see it and then they write a review and then someone like contacts fucking yeah. A.O. Scott from the New York yeah. Times shows up. Sorry, man, not on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like you know, Siskel and Ebert get an email. It's like we think this movie Aren't should have been dead? a thumbs up, not a thumbs down. They're yeah, dead. I know they're both dead now, but uh, but <laughs> too soon, man. Yeah, jokes thumbs down, <laughs> especially Siskel. Roper is still alive. Rope too soon, dog. Let's just leave it. <laughs> Can't one of them kill themselves. That's the connection I was trying to make. <laughs> So, so text and video go- a stretch. <laughs> yeah, <let's laughs> yeah. stretch. <laughs> Not giving you that one yet. Uh, so text and video go up the morning of the thirteenth on GameSpot on their front page while the banner's still around it. So the banner is like, hey, buy Kane and Lynch. And then the middle of the page is, here's the Kane and Lynch review. And you click yeah, on it's it. It's mediocre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the next day on the 14th. You know what's funny? I watched Jeff's review. Before it got. Before it got taken. Okay, well, yeah. Which we'll get to. Yeah. Before it got taken down. Yeah. Um, it didn't take long. No. I watched it the day it came out. Because like I said, I was interested in the game. Yeah, Freedom yeah. Fighters fan. Totally. I bought the game because of his review. Yeah. Like, it was a six, he but... Did, he didn't but, hate it. Yeah, it yeah, was a six, but all the stuff he was complaining about, it's like, I can deal with that. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to play the next game from yeah, these totally. guys. Yeah. I don't disagree with his review at all. No, uh, but that's like, the funny thing, though. They're like, you got a six? No one's going to buy our game. It's like, if you watch the video, he doesn't hate it. Yeah. It's okay, and I was like, okay, it's, it's fine to me. Yeah, I just want to play the yeah. game, yeah. so Especially I bought back it. then, I yeah. bought, like, most games. Yeah. But, like, I was going to say, yeah, I probably purchased more okay games yeah. than I had, like, good games. And it clearly didn't affect the... Like, the game sold well enough to get a sequel. So, you know, but so the the next day, the 14th, all it took us like 24 hours. The video review was taken down and the written review got altered. When By me- who? <laughs> when members of the site asked why those moderating the site informed stated that a revised one would be up soon. That's all they said. There is some confusion, but for the most part, people didn't think too much of it at the time because they have pulled videos and edited stuff before. Mm-hmm. But the real questions began to rise when Jeff suddenly wasn't featured on the following weekly live show on the spot, as well as the Hot Spots podcast, which also fuck Rooster Teeth. And I, I went on a rant at the of this, by the way, in my research, because apparently Rooster Teeth also has a show called On the Spot that came out like a decade later. And it's just like, you really didn't bother to research that at all. Like, <laughs> It, it, Austin made a joke about like a Foo Fighters put out an album called Appetite for Destruction. <laughs> like, like it's well, just, they did make that entire song where every riff is a rip of a hard rock riff. <laughs> but like, but on the spot and the Hot Spot podcast were like some of the first real ventures into that type of coverage for games. Like, yeah. no respect for your ancestors. <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah, 
Speaking of conglomerates. Also, you want to talk us about... Us here, the major people here at Hot Button, uh, we're taking down t- Rooster Teeth. <laughs> Side note, you want to talk about beefs involving Jeff and Rooster Teeth, we could get into that whole thing. Oh my god, that, that was really nice. funny. A little side story, yeah. when Jeff reviewed Fallout 4, Jeff being Jeff, the critic that he is, gave Fallout 4, a game that deserved it, mm-hmm. a less than stellar score. I think it might have been like... I mean, you give it a three. You give it a three out of five for consoles. A four out of five for PC. Yeah, because it didn't run well on consoles. No, and there's it, like you can find yeah. a clip of That's uh, generous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can find a clip of Rooster, one of a Rooster Teeth podcast where they're just like oh my shitting God. on Jeff because it's fucking kids. yeah, because they're like he's like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. That game's great. He's and probably doing it for clicks. Yeah, he's doing it for clicks. He's just everyone else is giving a great score, and he's just doing this for clicks. This and dude, he's like forty. And so, he's been somebody asked, games somebody asked Jeff about it on like Tumblr because he has like a, a Tumblr with yeah. open questions or whatever and he's like dude I don't fucking care <laughs> <laughs> that is the only right response yeah. really so uh, his friends and colleagues on the podcast didn't mention his absence as most of them were out the previous week on work related trips and assumed he was either away on something similar or took a personal day because this was the busy holiday season mm-hmm. and so like a lot of times working at companies like this you would go like they're based out of San Francisco mm-hmm where a lot of game developers and publishers are located. Yeah. And a lot of times they would go see games all the time. So they yeah. were out of office. Another week passes. No new video is uploaded. His coworkers and followers start to get concerned that something fishy was going on behind the scenes. And that's because there was. Yeah. This news wouldn't get out until later, but apparently the morning of Wednesday, November 28th, Jeff is officially terminated. While he and the entire staff are restricted to speak on the matter due to strict legal HR policy. Those closest to him there didn't even find out until they literally saw him packing up boxes, cleaning out his office that day. (laughs) Less than 24 hours later, a swirl of, quote, rumors begin to uh, break out as the Kane and Lynch banner ads all disappear from the site. Was Jeff really let go from over a decade of work at GameSpot because of a mediocre score of a game? Uh, <laughs> I know uh, the answer to that yeah. question. Well, yeah, uh, so this is where it gets interesting, and this is probably our introduction to the story of how we found out, yes. right? Yeah, because this, this is was the a third deal. intro of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> this is where the story begins, but this is where like it broke out of a just an inner the this inner is politics where it went of work from being Jeff Gersman to Gersman game. game. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I can hear, I can feel him twitching from here. So the next morning, on Friday the 30th, a popular gaming webcomic and Runners of PAX publish a satirical comic addressing the termination and also release a more informal statement making some pretty heavy claims from sources closest to them on what the reason for the firing actually was. Penny Arcade. Yeah. For those that don't know, because you didn't say... The name Penny Arcade. I didn't. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Were you an active reader of Penny Arcade back in the day? Yeah, I was dumb. I was too. Okay. <laughs> Penny Arcade's not bad. I think it's of a different era, so it's, it's still going now. I love PAX. Yeah, I love PAX too. You know, I, I just, I, just I, did, eh, I grew out of Penny Arcade, I think. Me too. I think that was my issue as well. Uh, but it's not. It's nothing that they're doing wrong. No, I just no, grew out me of neither. It. And, and there are still some golden like strips, uh, I think, yes. like that are that really still. I hold just up don't check way. it. No, me neither. Uh, did, did you ever read Penny Arcade back in the day? Were you a big webcomic guy? No. In high school, that was like the biggest thing in the world for me for a while. Everybody just reading. Yeah, they comics. stopped printing comics on paper and started printing them on the internet. Yo, can you believe that shit? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't on the computer like you nerds. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking assholes. 
Uh, so they put their comic up. They even linked it to a Wired article that also went up earlier that day that was uh, actively searching for answers. This, like I also said, this exploded the story into a space where millions suddenly became aware of the situation rather than just a this small message board chatter before. I could describe the comic. It's it's kind of that's like a weird thing to do. That is weird. Uh, so I'll, just, I'll that. just sum just it up. Look it up. <laughs> yeah, but it is it is a pretty funny comic. I should have showed you it maybe before we started, just because it's a funny comic. It's basically Jeff sitting there and a, a guy in a black suit standing over him talking about like, ooh, you know, that's a bad review that you gave us. He's like, do you see that users of the site can like make their own trailers? You see that it's got these yeah. banner ads, and then he like leads in closer than him, and he's just like, hey, do you see all your shit <laughs> locked outside of your locked office Jesus, or whatever? Yeah. yeah, and he's like, hey, it's like you said. Sensing the pattern here or something. It's 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 pretty funny. <laughs> you looking at it right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I remember, yeah. I remember this and comic. And that comic, and it was funny because there were people I knew that didn't even um, actively read Penny Arcade that like... Yeah, because it blew came, up. Yeah, like that, that strip was huge. In their post that, I don't know if it was Jerry uh, who wrote it, but I, I think it was, they state how management at GameSpot has apparently had multiple meetings with Jeff before about some of their previous scores, even prior to Kane and Lynch, and how the uh, the growth and revenue of their site was carefully crafted from very certain relationships with um, some of, like, with, with... Fuck you, man. Uh, yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> Dude, Dude, I, I can hear fucking, your blood boiling. Yeah, several fucking meetings. Probably somebody else called because yeah. you gave their game a low review because it sucked. Yeah. It's not because... And that, he would just shrug his shoulders and go back to work. That was his job. Like, and some of the most prime and relevant examples being that IDOS pulled apparently hundreds of thousands of potential dollars of future advertising revenue following his review. So apparently, like they said, once this review got out, they told GameSpot, they're like, yeah, we're never doing any of that stupid campaign banner ad. Make your journalistic integrity cost us money because corporate machines have no value in human life. You're fired. (laughs) And the people that made this decision had nothing to do with developing the game. You know, it was was IDOS, not IO. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like IOS Interactive had nothing to do with that. But, like, he also continued to write about the difficulty that those in the review business have to face every day from all sides, whether it's fans or, you know, publishers, and how Jeff himself has been no stranger to controversies like this in the past due to his opinions. Regardless, management there had a very different story, and this is the fake one, like the damage control one. In the link that Pinarcade provided, those above him claimed that an employee there would never be let go because of a disagreement in review from a publisher. However, this was still no official statement and people wanted answers, which they still couldn't get from the man himself. I like this this quote. So over the weekend uh, that this happened, because this comic was on a Friday, mm-hmm. Jeff's home was flooded with more calls than it ever was before, like even before the comic was hit, for mm-hmm. people asking about the you know, what was happening. And his quote was, um, this probably wouldn't come much of a surprise, but I'm unable to comment on the rumors surrounding my termination. Though I will say that I wish people would stop calling my parents' house at 2am looking for it. I know the proper stereotype of a game critic is a guy that lives in his parents' basement and all, but geez. Um, Kotaku and Joystick also then publish articles regarding the incident. Many try to reach out to IDOS as well. They remain silent. With the cat out of the bag, that Monday rolls around and GameSpot had no choice but to put a Q&A post, uh, post up on their site of their side. <laughs> uh, the biggest key quotes in their statement, which uh, I will get to in a second. Also, special thanks to GameStop, interestingly enough, by the way, for still somehow having this up on their site. That's where I found this information. I guess GameStop for a while used to actually like have like a news section mm-hmm. on their site before it was just nothing but a store. And like, this is somehow still up there. Wow, it's very God. weird. But in the Q and a post that GameSpot put up, that is no longer up. 
Uh, they did at least confirm the termination back on the 28th. They didn't do that until this post, that he was actually fired. Even after people were already reaching out to Jeff. Yeah. I will give them that, that they at least said that part. But that's pretty much all they, they had to say. That's the that bare, bare minimum. minimum yeah. yeah. Everything else felt kind of like a lot of bullshit, especially considering the opening line of the post in the Q&A was naming the truth behind Jeff's firing a conspiracy theory. Also, many publications, including oh, GFW, oh, got the chills. I know, noted I the it. suspicious nature it was that a company even had to put out a statement regarding a now ex-employee, considering before this it never really happened in games before. If someone gets terminated, very rarely does a company have to come out and say why. At least back in this era. Back in this day, now they do. Now they do, because the personality aspect yeah. of it is much larger. But anyway, here's some of the questions and answers I picked from that statement. Question, why was Jeff fired? Uh, the answer was, legally, the exact reasons behind his dismissal cannot be revealed. However, they stemmed from issues unrelated to any publisher or advertiser. His departure was due purely for internal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Second, why was the Kanan Lynch review text altered? Jeff's supervisors and select members of the edit team felt that the review's negativity did not match its fair 6.0 rating. Wasn't that negative? I know. The copy was adjusted several days after its publication so that it better matched Meshed with its score, which remains unchanged. The achievements and demerits so it received were also left unaltered. That makes no fucking sense. That makes no sense at all. Why not change the score if you're gonna... No, change somebody else's words instead. <sighs> because it <laughs> that wasn't... That makes no sense. I don't get that. Yeah. If the whole point is that you, you suffered because of a low score, yeah. then commit. Just change the fucking score. Yeah. If you're gonna commit to being like Gestapo-esque <laughs> fucking rewriting somebody's reviews. fucking words... <laughs> Then commit and change the fucking score. I wish, yeah. Don't I wish, change the words, which barely anybody's gonna read anyway. Yeah, yeah that's change, a good point. You know, like I wish they went the opposite way and rewrote the review and just gave it a ten, <laughs> just to keep Ida's happy. Like that would have been that hilarious. Would, at least they didn't fucking guts at that. Yeah. Point, you know what I mean? Like the next question: Why was the Kenny Lynch review taken uh, video review taken down? The video was taken down due to concerns of quality, specifically its audio was deemed inferior due to a faulty microphone. Shut up. <laughs> there were also concerns about the limited amount of footage, which was unrepresentative of the game in the review. They continue on to say that they didn't have the resources to reshoot and edit a new video during the busy high launch season, I guess as we mentioned before, but they did eventually cave and repost the original after supporter backlash. The next question, why uh, was IDOS Interactive upset by the game's review? It has been confirmed that IDOS representatives express, expressed their displeasure to their appropriate contacts at GameSpot, but not to the editorial directly. What does that even mean? <laughs> I don't we know. just complained to the company. The company did nothing with that information. Definitely not tell the people still who were responsible for the review. Yeah, like I mentioned a little bit of that relationship earlier, but it's like PR basically contacts the super, which at this point would be Jeff, because like he's head of the reviews. So no, I think they contact the CNET? advertising team. It doesn't oh, matter. Okay. Regardless, yes. whoever was contacted, there's no way it just stayed there. Yeah. No. No, obviously not. Yeah. If you're on the advertising team for a site like this and someone's like, uh, we're really pissed your company's about to lose a bunch of money, they're yeah. not just like, hang <laughs> up. Like, they're going to be like, oh shit, I got to tell my boss. The next question, which is uh, like I'll, the next two, because I only have two more and they're complete bullshit. Did Eidos' uh, disappointment cause any of these things? Their answer, absolutely not. They're saying that like cause any of the the answer to like his firing and the video review getting taken down on the stuff. Which we later, yeah. of course, will find out as a total lie. But 
It's, honestly, not, the, it's not a total lie because it wasn't just that one yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the only real kernels it's of truth in here were some of the issues regarding the video. And when they got asked about the promo ads, they replied that a deal for the dates that they would run were already predetermined long beforehand, and that by the end time, it was just coincidental. That, I believe, could be true. Yeah, that's, probably. That's probably true. Because why would they have ads running for that game two weeks after it was out? So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, that's yeah. like the only one I believe. Maybe the video stuff. But this one is my favorite, though. And this is the last one. Why didn't GameSpot write about Jeff's departure sooner? Due to HR procedures and legal considerations, unauthorized CNET networks and GameSpot employees are forbidden from commenting on the employment status of current and former employees. However, the company is now making an exception due to the widespread information that has spread since Jeff's departure. So he doesn't get to speak, but they do. Because like, they made an exception. I know, but like Jeff is still forbidden Duh, from the talking who about it. people create the rules alter the rules. I know, it's just so funny. They're like, it was two people signed that contract, not one. Like, I don't know, man. But they ended this post, and this actually gets kind of funny. They ended the post by saying that they wanted to try and restore the user's faith, save their integrity and credibility. So how did they do this? By directing readers to watch tomorrow's livecast of On the Spot and, of course, their Hotspot podcast. You know, the podcast hosted by Jeff's now very upset friends and coworkers who had some pretty strong feelings about the way things were being run internally there. But yet we're still being withheld much of the vital information as well as the entire, you, you aren't really allowed to talk about this thing so it's like it's hilarious that they're like but listen to the podcast and the podcast is basically all these guys that are very angry and upset at what just happened so to go back to your question yeah from the beginning this podcast yeah did you listen to this one was like the first thing that got me into i knew who jeff and alex were yeah before this, because of the Big Rigs video. Yes, yeah, the Big which Rigs is video great. was definitely Everybody was look up GameSpot's Big Rigs over the road, road racing, racing review because so it's good. hilarious. But uh, that's yeah. Alex Navarro. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is where I, I listen to more IGN podcasts, so I know a couple of them, but this is where I started I following. Like it's funny because this is where I started following the personalities of GameSpot. Yeah, yeah. Same and then way. you'll get to it, but I didn't follow GameSpot for very long. Yeah, this. <laughs> yeah which this. Will, uh, definitely tie into that. So December 4th, the Hotspot episode goes live. Host Vinny Caravella and regulars Ricardo Torres, Ryan McDonald, Alex Navarro, as you mentioned, and Ryan Davis. They spoke pretty openly about the situation. You can listen to it. I think it's on YouTube still. Someone yes. cut it out. Well, the most that they could disclose publicly anyway, without, you know, under litigation. Uh, Expressing the the higher-ups complete lack of communication with them about him, along with the general distaste of how everything was being handled, (laughs) including the uh, pace of it, while going on to make jokes, because that's what they do, and (laughs) say that it was... Quote, some messed up shit and a complete clusterfuck. <laughs> also, while you're on YouTube looking up game sp- old GameSpot podcasts, look up their clip about haze and corn. Because <laughs> oh my God, that is still one so of the best funny. bits I've ever heard on any the podcast. Band, the band Corn did a song specifically for that video game Haze. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. Um, there's there's some there's some real good ones. The Gizmondo one's still my favorite. <laughs> Video games are a religion, and Haze <laughs> is my shit. <laughs> is the Pope shit? <laughs> like none of that quote made any fucking sense. I think that was when Corn someone just left, so they had one less member too. Yeah. 
It's just a picture of the three remaining members of Corn, and then the, the dude guy from Hayes <laughs> poorly photoshopped. Oh, uh, Hayes was such a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Made by ga- the Golden Eye guys, I know. right? It was Free Radical. They made Time Splitters. Oh, the Time Splitters like, guys yeah. shows yeah. It with, shows how much they know. Fuck anyway, you. continue. <laughs> so they unfortunately couldn't say why. Of course, Jeff, you know, was was fired, but they did uh, assure that Jeff was doing okay, drinking, but okay, <laughs> and that his newfound internet fame was funny. They were also quick to squash rumors that he didn't actually play the game. There were supporters of GameSpot back in the day who accused him of that. And like those who stood against his past reviews. And they researched his gamer tag and saw a lack of Kane and Lynch achievements. But most editors at the time played their titles early through codes on debug consoles. So. All right. Not yeah. to go on a little mini rant here. No, but like on it. Was... Everybody who follows the games industry... <laughs> Calm the fuck down. Yeah. <laughs> You're all being manipulated by corporations. <laughs> Not to go on my anti-capitalism rant again for like the fifth episode we have to in fan a row. Our quota per episode, oh, really. But like Yeah, well obviously the, fans of anything are garbage. Yeah, yeah it's true. First we were talking we were talking fans about people being mad about games being ported to the Epic Store over Steam, and it's just like, dude, relax. You're giving like, your money cares? to corporations either way. Either way. <laughs> You're all getting fucked over. Just calm down. Just rather Steam it. take all my money and fuck me over in Monopoly. <laughs> the Fortnite guys <laughs> so Jeff was mostly <laughs> well we got our Fortnite quota in too was it? I, I dabbed you dabbed, oh, did you dab? <laughs> I missed it. For, all, for the auto listeners out there I dabbed that's why we gotta do video yeah so <laughs> Jeff Jeff was mostly just concerned at the time that the bad blood would come down to the wrong people there like them because like the internet not happy with GameSpot right now and yeah. all these dudes good dudes like they didn't have anything to do with it mm-hmm. you know like uh, like we mentioned, IO didn't have anything to do with it. It was just, it was bad corporate culture and those in charge that really did not at all understand A, the working relationship and B, Jeff's place in that community. Because yeah. they, they fucked with the wrong guy. They fired the wrong guy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Jeff was well known in that, in, like, in that space. The only thing that they were quick to echo in the, uh, in the site's prior statement were the problems surrounding the quality of the initial video and how it helped create a perfect storm of shit, really. Going on to mention that it was before anything bad started to go down, and that they have they had plenty of videos taken off the site before to fix before like and then to re-upload before, like you know to keep everything consistent with their standards, I guess. Um, Convenient. <laughs> the text review altercations though were not mentioned uh, on the podcast. They probably couldn't. Other than that, though, it, it's they're very vocal in the They wanted the same answers that the rest of us did. Yeah, like they were still left in the dust as to like why he was fired. Yeah, like you know, like I mean, I'm sure like you know by then Jeff probably talked to them personally, but they could never say that he broke yeah. And that the site was going to have to do uh, a lot to win people back, or maybe that they would just get fed up and leave. <laughs> Um, Which one do you think it is? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you mentioned why we were gonna, you know, like like before how this was gonna come up that you started following all these people and then they immediately broke from that tether. One month later, freelance reviewer Frank Provo left GameSpot after eight years, stating in reference to the parent company that made the final decision to terminate Jeff, I believe CNET management that let Jeff go for all the wrong reasons. I believe CNET intends to soften the site's tone and to push for higher scores and to make advertisers happy. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) yeah. An advertiser was responsible for getting one of our people fired for his journalistic integrity. Yeah. I quit. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it wasn't just him because not long they after that. They fired him because they lost money and they needed somebody to blame. Yeah. They fixed the problem. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can't make money reviewing things. And you know how many people would be eager to take that position? 
you know, like oh, once he was out. Yeah, like put a, yeah, they put a band-aid on the pipe and then the pressure built and the pipe burst. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, one by one, many of the top senior staff at GameSpot began to leave. Jason Ocampo, Brad Shoemaker, the previously mentioned Alex Navarro, Ryan Davis, and the host Vinny Caravella all left as a result of Jeff's termination. It was a total mass exodus with each person giving Jeff's unjustly termination being the reason yeah. for them leaving. This is my this is the the fucking worst part. I know. Go yeah, ahead. this is dark. I know it's coming. <laughs> so once these guys put in their two weeks that they were all leaving, company emails began to get sent out banning Jeff <laughs> from attending any of the goodbye parties for them. <laughs> <laughs> to which they responded by just having them off-site instead. Yeah. <laughs> So they would be like, oh, we're having a good goodbye party for, you know, for Brad Shoemaker today. Like, there's pizza in the, in the rec room or whatever. And then he'd be like, I'm going to go to the bar down the street, actually. And then if anybody actually wants to go to my goodbye party, it's down there. And then yeah. he, they would meet up with Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> in the meantime, Jeff begins writing reviews on his own personal blog, uh, the first of which being Criterion's Burnout Paradise a game that he still looks back fondly on. Incidentally, this was also Alex Navarro's last review for GameSpot. He also, uh, I remember, I couldn't find where it was because it was on a random podcast. I think it was on the podcast. Are you going to mention how Alex smuggled out a debug Xbox so that no, Jeff that could too. play for an hour? Yeah, that great. too. <laughs> yeah. But um, no. Then, so there's a thing not a lot of people know, which is that game companies will often hire people to do mock reviews. Have you ever heard of this? Oh, is this like Crispy Gamer? Was that the, the one that... Oh, no, so. no, no. Okay, sorry. I know what you're talking about. Crispy yeah. Gamer's just freelance so, like, stuff. But. I don't know if you know about this, Chris, this but like... So, oh, this is so basically, weird. Tell the story, yeah. Basically, like, there are not a lot of salaried game reviewers anymore. It's a lot of freelancers. Makes yeah. sense. And like... You can fire them for disagreeing with you. <laughs> there's not a lot of... There's not a lot of jobs to go around for freelancers. As I understand it, kind of talking out of my ass, never been a game reviewer. <clears throat> Keep that yeah. in mind. But there's not a lot of jobs to go around, so game companies will often, before their game comes out, They'll hire a game reviewer to basically do a mock review, so it's that like, maybe they can get they can kind of gauge so, yeah, how so the they can be like do. this guy knows what he's talking about. He's been in their industry for a while. He reviews the game before it's released a couple months, and then they see if they have any time to fix the issues he had problems with to try to boost the actual review score when the Once game comes it's out. out. Yeah, that makes sense. And Jeff apparently did that for a while. No, he so he did, but he refused to accept payment for it, and, right, then, yeah. and then he found out that that was illegal. So he was like, "I'll do mock reviews, but I don't want to get paid for it because it feels dirty." And then they said, well, we have to pay you. And Jeff was like, okay, write me a check for a dollar and I won't cash it. Yeah. And they did. They refused to do it because he really wanted to get paid right, a dollar yeah. for review. And he wanted to frame it <laughs> like, <laughs> like a check for a dollar. <laughs> By this point, it became more and more clear that his firing was pretty much inevitable. A result of a broken system. Like you said. Kanan <laughs> uh, Lynch just happened Ooh. to be the, the catalyst. And by the end of February of 08, much of their top editors were all gone. Many, such as Brad Shoemaker, went to do freelancing while Alex left to become community manager for music gaming company Harmonix. Although Ryan, being the buddies of Jeff that he is, continuously would meet up with them, like, to have different plans in mind. Mm-hmm. So after uh, some drunken nights of all these guys playing rock band, I can relate, and destroying the infamous copy of Kane Never Lynch, played it. What is it? Because, <laughs> um, yeah, rock band came Why not rap band? They made, they made, <laughs> Thank you. They made that game. Thank you. That was the best You're response welcome, I could have asked for. Wasn't there like a rap version of Sing Star or something like that? There was. Holy shit. Uh, a DJ hero. No. 
Uh, that game's great. But what was the, there was it was like Def Jam Sing Star or something. Yeah. Like that. Why not ska band? You know, <laughs> because four people would buy a horn controller. <laughs> no, I would. It's just like a horn, but it has the green. Yeah, it, would yeah. also, it would also have like ten songs in it. Yeah, it's just impression that I get in Superman. Yeah, over and over. I'd buy that game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so these You're dudes, right. these dudes were meeting up, playing games together, getting drunk. They destroyed the infamous copy of Kane and Lynch. They defaced it in a way that Jeff will never say. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Um, which it is funny because later, on later on, <laughs> later on, he would talk about how that copy actually did a whole lot for him in the long run, but yeah. <laughs> in a positive way. But uh, it wasn't long until he decided that he wanted to uh, do something new, not in game development or public relations, but something more personal. So the two, Ryan and Jeff, began to record a few episodes of their own podcast over Skype using the Rock Band USB microphones. And would nice. name it uh, Arrow Pointing Down. And what's very funny, because it's like, I was reading that, and I was like, man, they're starting from, like, like even we started at a level that, like, this was a different era, but it, I oh, can't yeah. imagine if we did this over Skype using rock band mics or something. I remember recording We wouldn't even need mics. Jason. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> we could all have this a guy third. Mooching off the company payroll for too long. <laughs> we could all have a third of the no dollars that we make <laughs> instead of a fourth. A third of the debt. <laughs> um, so this uh, this podcast is called Arrow Pointing Down, which is a great name. Uh, they apparently they they called it this because they wanted to make T-shirts that were just parody. Yeah, I think I'm talking about this. Yeah. So they wanted to have shirts that just said like "I'm with stupid" with an arrow pointing down, or like a "Where's the beef" with an arrow pointing down. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good it's idea. Kind of, it's my kind of humor. Yeah. Um, but the uh, this podcast, the pair would casually discuss new game releases and review weird sodas and energy drinks, which they that still was, do on Giant stick. Bomb. They do. <laughs> Some of those old podcasts are so weird. They're like opening soda, like uh, energy drinks, and being like, "Anyway, this one's called." And they're like the weirdest shit that people <laughs> yeah. send to them. But within weeks, they started to work with uh, Shelby Bonnie's Whiskey Media to begin developing a brand new site. They wanted to build something bigger, and thus Giant Bomb was born. GameSpot Two was born. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Change the name. No, this was going to be way different than them. So this this was founded by Jeff Ryan and web designer and friend Dave Snyder. The site was to feature audio, videos, commentary, news reviews, and a wiki database, but all personality driven. They wanted to deeply cover the industry, but not from a business perspective. Obviously, Jeff getting pretty burned on that. And to co- they wanted to connect with their followers on a much closer level. This philosophy was actually fairly new to the scene in an age before streamers, YouTubers, and the popularity of things like Let's plays your podcast networks so fun fact i don't use the giant bomb wiki all that much it's pretty helpful i've tried to make some stuff with it because they have really cool api programmer Mm -hmm. talk won't get into it they used to um, track achievements as well but interesting fact so like jeff has talked in the past about how like the wiki is really important to him even though it doesn't make he spends a lot of time it doesn't make him any money but he does spend a lot of time like categorizing games because he's a game collector yes so he like wants all that information to be out there and like not deletable i guess yeah but um the giant bomb wiki is actually used by a lot of sites twitch uses it yeah a lot of people don't realize this yeah they use it for what? So for, when, box arts for box art and game titles yeah. and release yeah, dates and stuff like that. So when you like go that. on Twitch and you see like they're scrolling through the yeah, games yeah, and yeah, they I have the, the tabs, like yeah. they get that from Giant Bomb's mm-hmm. database. So it's it's like even if you're not a follower of Giant Bomb, their influence is like yeah. broken through. Like uh, when they were tracking achievements for a while, because like achievements. Do you remember the Gold Rush era of achievements on the 360? There was a kid like, I worked with way back when, when I worked in a grocery store. And it was like achievement hunting <laughs> obsessed. Like. 
I'd be like talking like, oh, I got a pretty cool. Like, oh, I remember getting like the fucking the what's the Mile High Club achievement. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. Modern Warfare. And that I remember, two, like, that finally achievement's getting insane. It and being like, dude, I got lucky. Yeah. I got lucky. Two point point two seconds left. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I played like some Barbie Dreamhouse Easy Thousand, like this and this. Like, I'm like, why? Yeah, yeah, like the why Avatar Airbender game. Yeah, just to get yeah. a thousand points. Yeah, like, and it, uh, but what's yeah, funny? Who would do that? <laughs> did you do it? It's on your profile. <laughs> so, I did not buy that Avatar Airbender game it, from right. Target on clearance for five dollars to get a thousand achievement <laughs> points and return it. Oh my god, you did that. <laughs> I remember being upset when I my basically when I came to Xbox One and I had to reset up my Xbox Live and all that shit. I couldn't get access to my old gamer tag because I had forgot the password. And then when I tried to create a new username that was similar to my old one, I couldn't because I had taken the old thing and also <laughs> forgot the information. So, That's pretty fucking funny, actually. So I ended up losing like. You know, some fifty odd thousand achievement oh, no. points, and I was like, I was like, what am I ever gonna do? And then like, oh wait, I don't care. I was an idiot. On the three sixty, I had multiple profiles because you had to have multiple profiles to play multiplayer games. Yeah. So like, I had like eight profiles, and I would just play games randomly on different profiles. This is so now the key profile I have now, I don't have achievements for most of the first wave of video this games. This is why you don't have friends. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> then plus the Xbox achievement sound is not nearly as satisfying boop, boop. as it used to be. Yeah. The that trophy old, one. Boop. Now it's yeah. like a diamond one. It's well, like, no, oh, it's a diamond one if it's like a rare achievement. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of neat. But they're, they're, the funny thing is, like, Microsoft has gotten way better at achievement tracking. But back then, apparently Giant Bomb was the biggest site for doing this. And video game publishers would get in contact for those statistics. Because a lot of times achievements were used to, to base how far people would make it in a game. Yeah. That's why there were chapter achievements constantly. So they're like, okay, well this many people played this game like how far did they get before they put it down maybe there's a problem with this level like you know but so, how did Giant Bomb get it they were so, talking to Microsoft so <coughs> just go fucking talk to Microsoft yeah. no, well that was the funny thing so Giant Bomb was collecting all this stuff and then like a publisher like EA or Ubisoft would be like can we have that achievement data we want to see like you know like Microsoft's not doing a good enough job to track this and we want to see how like how people are doing so it's interesting is they're building the site in June ex GameSpot editors who left during that exodus Vinnie Caravella and Brad Shoemaker both joined the team even Alex would eventually come back after his time at Harmonix the site went live on July 20th 2008 and hasn't missed a week of podcasting since they brought in more staff including video intern Drew Scanlon in 2008 better known now as the blinking white guy and founder of ClothMap the old fans of GameSpot flocked to this site. Like, a lot of people used to follow their content and listen to Hotspot and watch mm-hmm. on the spot back in the day. All came here. Giant Bomb continued to grow and grow, even being voted by Time Magazine as one of the top 50 websites in 2011, which was rare for online gaming publications. Yeah. Um, I wonder how many other gaming publications. Yeah, usually those sites are reserved for, like, you know, completely different things. But um, Capitalists.com. <laughs> Sorry. Top number one. Every also, year. Amazon. Yeah. I want to put two. in here real quick. Yeah. This is also a very important point that's going to come up in a little bit. Yeah. One month prior, in June of 2008, CNET was acquired by CBS. And yeah. Arctic. Yeah. And that's, yes. that's like, it's Which so will, weird. It the, will come up the later. Coincidences in the yeah. story. So their site was doing well, and their podcast called The Giant Bombcast, which they still do to this day, became one of the top listened to gaming podcasts in the world with hundreds of thousands of people tuning in each week. Even the pretentious. Yeah, where are you guys at? <laughs> yeah, right? Even the pretentious New Yorker gave it a positive recommendation, saying that it was car talk for gamers. Hey, whoa, pretentious? <laughs> hey, whoa. I love the New Yorker. I can read more than one too. article for free, it's pretentious. <laughs> 
Um, Giant Bomb thrives while the numerous questions behind the scandal at GameSpot years ago seemed like they would never truly be answered. Then in 2012, something very funny happened. Boom. Um, Apocalypse. (laughs) Everyone remembers. (laughs) And while we get to the the very last kind of section of our story, I remember when this happened too, because this was very weird. On March 15th of that year... In 2012, Shelby Bunny sold Whiskey Media in two deals, splitting all of the company's websites that they owned. Tested, screened, and Anime Vice were bought by Berman Braun, which is now Whale Rock Industries or whatever. Tested? Yeah, they oh, were. Does that have anything to do with Adam Savage's yeah. Tested? Is yes. that what that is? Okay. Yeah. While Giant Bomb and sister site Comic Vine were sold to CBS Interactive. And why is this relevant? It's, well, CBS owned GameSpot. And part of the deal was that the non-disparagement agreement between Jeff and CNUT was nullified, allowing him to finally publicly speak openly about his termination that happened five years five years prior. So later that same evening, oh, yeah. <laughs> Jeff appears on camera on GameSpot's on-the-spot web show that he used to be a part of with GameSpot VP John Davison, which was his first appearance on the site since he was fired back in 2007. And in the segment, he plainly revealed that his firing was in fact related to the low review score that he had given to Kane and Lynch. Sweet retribution. Something the site aggressively denied for years, even past that original statement. Although his explanation did cite other similar events prior that led to the termination, including a 7.5 good review uh, or rating given to Sony's Ratchet & Clank Future Tools of Destruction by Aaron Thomas, a then-employee under Jeff at the time. And... Sony wasn't happy with that 7.5. 7.5 uh, is a great score. Not good, not Sony good, you know? So, Fuck you, Sony. <laughs> it's Ratchet and Clank. Calm down. I know. It's Ratchet and Clank's nev- fun. But it is. It's incredible. Yeah. It's an incredible it 7.5. <laughs> they all have been. Yeah, it's true. Um, those high, like, I think the new one is probably the best one, the remake. Uh, but uh, those higher-ups claimed that he, quote, couldn't be trusted anymore as editorial director Fuck <laughs> because of it, despite IO Interactive never personally asking for a set at any point. They were just artists behind the game. They understood the world of criticism outside their studio. But that first call came in by Sony of America threatening to pull advertising money from the Ratchet & Clank review, while the second and third phone calls were indeed from IDOS concerning Kane & Lynch. Three phone calls in one month and with both titles, with fairly large budgets at the time. Kane & Lynch was trying to get a movie made at one point. But after that third call, it was it. It also unfortunately seemed like that this was a result of a long standoff between GameSpot's then-management division and its editorial staff. Money in anything that involves (laughs) ideals is corrupting. (laughs) Name a time where it hasn't been. Like, fuck off. Uh, Christianity. Oh, you're right. Money never never corrupted ideology of Christianity. The the, the dinosaurs. Money never corrupted the ideology behind politics. (laughs) Money never corrupted the ideology behind fucking journalism. Yeah. You're going to get dragged away in a van. (laughs) Good. Good. There's people walk in here and just like <laughs> get hit with a trank dart. Yeah. But uh, this was a this was at least a very good faith move on the part of GameSpot's new path. They really wanted to get away from what things were like there during this incident, and along with bringing in some wonderful new hires like Mary Kish and Danny O'Dwyer. Mm-hmm. Hey, I they, knew that guy. Yeah, Danny O'Dwyer's the man. Check out um, uh, his documentary series. What the, 
Why can't I think of no the name? No clip. No clip, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, met him as well. He was a sweetheart. Uh, but they wanted to show that this wasn't who they were anymore. He continued to speak elsewhere on the matter, too, going wherever he could. Uh, yeah, of course. Having a, having a sense of humor about it the whole time. He even pointed out the irony of CBS's acquisition of both the old website he used to be a part of and the new one he was running while sitting with Greg Miller on IGN's Up at Noon show, which IGN being the biggest competitive game spot yeah. during Jeff's reign. In other reviews, he would say that it was not a decision by the site's founders, of course, Pete Deemer, Vince Brody, and John Epstein, nor connected with the previous departures of co-workers Greg Kasavin or Tim Tracy, a childhood friend of his. Greg Kasavin, who later went on to... Did you, did you found Supergiant? Supergiant. Yeah. He made Bastion and, and... Transistor. Transistor. And oh, yeah. He also mentioned in a future... Uh, I bet he never played that. Is that good? Which one? Uh, Not the time. It's my right, least we'll favorite. <laughs> there, yeah. uh, he also mentioned on a future uh, Mixler stream that he still to this day doesn't know who leaked the truth of the story to Penny Arcade. His only guess comes from... Uh, of information getting out comes from, I guess, there was a, there was a, a blog uh, called Valleywag. It's now defunct. But it was a Gawker media uh, like kind of message board, and he his only guess was that some disgruntled friends and employees of his were leaking information from work meetings. So they would like people would go to these meetings, and then they would just go to the message board and tell everyone about it. Yeah, there's no and, way it wasn't one of his friends. Exactly, but he, they, 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 he said that to this day, no one's ever told him. He, he still doesn't know. So at the end of our story, Giant Bomb, of course, still thrives today, over a decade later, with as active as a fan base as ever, getting through hardships like the tragic loss of co-founder Ryan Davis, while also celebrating the good times like their annual contributions to Extra Life, to the inclusion of some awesome new members to their, in my opinion, the best working team in the business. I really do love those guys. Uh, and I could talk about the impact of this event for even longer, but not nearly as long as I could the impact that Jeff himself has had on the world of covering games. So let's try and forget one of the sorriest chapters in an often sorry relationship between writers and gamers and remember the good that came out of it. But I think that's it. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's a good story. Yeah. I like that. At the, least there's a silver lining. The if, direct if, opposite of the IGN story we did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We didn't. I, I knew this one probably wasn't as much fun to do because we didn't have some asshole to dog on. Unfortunately, the identities of the people responsible yeah, we did. for Capitalism. this decision. Well, of course, we have that every episode. I wanted a name of some like because uh, because the thing is like according to Jeff and even the new staff and stuff at Gamespot, it, this decision came from oh, yeah. all the way up from so, the machine. Uh, who know jack fuck about who Jeff is or video games or anything? So it was like the machine is the enemy. Yeah, it doesn't once, care yeah. about your feelings. No. Yeah. Doesn't care. It doesn't have a name. Stop blaming each other. Start blaming the machine. <laughs> Sorry, that's on my different podcast. We need to get you a punching blaming bag. Blaming the machine. For him. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It doesn't exist. No, that would yet. be good though. I'd, I'd be pretty into that. But um, that's essentially what we're doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's our story for today. This was uh, a fun one for me to research, just because of all the stories we've done. This is one I feel very personally connected to, just because it's. It does involve people that I like. I truly, really respect. But what a stupid and sad state of affairs. Though I guess that would imply that people aren't responsible, and they're very much are. So yeah. So yeah. yeah but um, money corrupts, obviously. This, yep. And this stuff, stay smart. As far as I'm aware, has gotten a lot better. Yeah. Like sites, this was a big exposure. Yeah. Sites like, don't feud as much as they do anymore. No, the rivalries are not the same. And the person personalities are a lot stronger on a lot of these sites, so the representative well, part not, to some, this, you know. Yeah, situation. they're not willing to fire people like this. Uh, yeah, and, they're not as and, uh, and as far as I'm aware, publishers, other than what we talked about earlier, publishers <laughs> aren't really going out and being like 
after reviewing hey, fuck you. I know this is kind of yeah. uh, separate, but like, because something like Top Gear. They got better at hiding it. <laughs> something like Top Gear, car companies lend them cars so they yeah, can yeah, review yeah. them. That's so no small they, feat. You no, know what I mean? Like, when that's they hate a, a very, product very, that's very designed very, to. Exactly. Yeah. When somebody spends millions of dollars developing a product totally, yeah. and then it gets poorly reviewed by mm. a predominant thing. It's always it, weird it when you think about that them. stuff, really. Yeah. Yeah. But the truth is, that's fucking journalism. Like, it is. Yeah. Make a better product. That's that's kind of like that's the weird thing about what capitalism reinforces, but also negates at the same time. Totally, like, yeah. That like the fact that it's like, oh yeah, hey, you know what? Maybe if you don't make a good product, you should fall to the wayside. Why everybody else, you know, gets to win in your place? That's yeah. capitalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then at the same time, it's like, no, but we can tip the scales because of money. It's I, just, we we spend a lot of time at my house talking about criticism, just whether like of, of anything, because it's it's a fascinating topic that I think it's a part of our day-to-day lives but for the most part I think a lot of people are actually really naturally bad at it and they don't understand the the usefulness or value of it but also the subjectiveness and personal bias of it Yeah, and it's like Part of the reason I know it sounded like I was I'm gushing about Jeff and his achievements is just because it's like he was a big influence on the way that I look at criticism and which is why it's like it's a portion of my brain that'll never be able to turn off but like I use it as a way of connecting with people and that's why it's so important to me like that's why it's so valuable it's it's a shame that people don't know how to discuss things and, and it's funny because it's like we're talking about something as as like innocuous as like games but it's like look at you know even in general personal criticisms and like yeah. and everything are, are really hard to give and take for the most part it's, it's yeah. a subject that makes the majority of individuals probably extremely uncomfortable and yeah. it's a shame that we're not no, better at- when there's millions of dollars in advertising money involved. <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's a shame we're not better at communicating that with each other because like once we get past that it's like you know it helps you better yourself creatively and and you know and all right well here's the lesson it's, it's neat Just learn to take criticism yeah Know and how to give it as well. Know how to give it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Pay attention yep. to some criticism. Yeah. Not that we're giving lessons out Find, now. Or like, uh, there's, <laughs> not, to, not to quote another um, person, but I, you guys are familiar with Dunkey. Mm-hmm. He did he did a thing about game critics, and I actually really like a quote that he said uh, in his video, and it's mostly comedy video, but he, he's, he's very, you know, strict on his points. But one of the things that I, I like that he says is he says, a, a critic's power lies in the consistency and clarity of their voice, mm-hmm. which I thought was brilliant because that a lot of that quote is about getting to know the people who are giving you that information mm-hmm. rather than walking around being like blank gave this, like, you know, it's just like this movie has uh, this score and this video game has this score gave it like IGN gave it this or whatever. And it's like, you well, want yeah, to give an extreme fictional yeah. scenario. It's like, Oh, this game got this, racing game got a, a 40 out of 100 well that sucks let me look into the writer oh his parents yeah. died in a racing crash <laughs> you know what i mean it's but like it's, it's you just, should it's, follow writers but and it's reviewers. the same thing that it's like we're probably as people much more inclined to listen to the opinions of the people closest to us more than a stranger well, because they duh, know what we like loops are amazing yeah. Yeah, we're all a part of them exactly and it's like uh, i'm sure some of the best recommendations that we've got on anything were probably suggested by somebody like somebody showed us something whether it was to watch or read or play or listen to and it's like that's I think like your idol where we need Hitler to get to I'm sure somebody told him <laughs> you're really bringing it all the way back you <laughs> <laughs> said that so succinctly I know, so <laughs> but uh, I think that's it um, to you <laughs> 
I, I'll do, I, I just I, kidding. I, I don't know the riddle of the defend himself. Obviously, I know. I, I, if I, <laughs> obviously, he's not a Hitler guy. Yeah, no. Someone will analyze Goebbels this and be like, way more somebody will analyze this and be like, he didn't say no. <laughs> Doctor Mengele, a big fan. I'll do the plugs. So, thanks who are we, Austin? Thanks for listening. Yeah, this has been Hot Button. Mm-hmm. If you didn't already know that, so for some reason, we have a website now. Yeah, HotButtonCast.com. It's got links to everything. You can go on that. You can find links to our Twitch, which we haven't done anything with yet. Yeah. YouTube, which we don't really do anything with yet, but we're planning on stuff in the we future. Got, we got ideas. We Twitch got Google Play, YouTube. Spotify, oh, iTunes. Yeah. We got our Podbean on there. We've got our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook. If you don't feel like going on the website, it's all at Hot Button Casts. Leave some reviews on iTunes. Yeah, do um, that review. Mm-hmm. But yeah, check out the website. Hit us up on any social it's a media. Website. Let me know what really you think. Is. Let us know what you think. I made it. He did. He on really Squarespace. <laughs> I, I slaved away on Squarespace for a good three hours. So <laughs> you're welcome, everybody. So use it for three hours. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, more. That's like or one more. and a half episodes. <laughs> <laughs> By the time this episode comes out, we won't have the live show. We're doing a live show right after this is being recorded. Yeah, one week. Uh, You will see that on the podcast feed, but if we choose to do any live events in the future, those will all be posted on the website, so keep an eye out. Those of you that did come out, we love love you. Those of you that didn't come out, I can't believe I can't, can't believe we got so. Randy to f- ha- uh, fist fight that homeless guy for a yeah. cheeseburger. Yeah, that was crazy. I'm a vegetarian. His of the cheeseburger, a the veggie burger too. That's, yeah. that's not the point of the joke, dude. Was it an Impossible Burger or? Uh, um, that's it. We're out. Yeah, let's burger. explain comedy. I'm done. <laughs> All right.